Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Good morning to you. Are you glad to be in God's house? It's good to see you. Before I uh, dive into our series today to the second part of that, I do want to make a a special announcement right now. We are entering into a brand new partnership with a mission in Peru. Uh, So we are calling this Partnering with Peru. It's going to be a one-year partnership. We have um, some people from our church that have had feet on the ground for many years have a connection there. Uh, and so we have even created a, an online giving tab for Peru on our online giving platforms where you can give directly to it. There's also a missions trip planned for August. I know that's short turnaround. Uh, there'll probably be another one next year, but there is one in August. We're going to have a table set up next Sunday in the lobby with all the details. Uh, if this is something that touches your heart, then you can get connected to it. And uh, how many are thankful, thankful to be a part of a church that's not only touching our region, but we're able to touch other nations? Amen. So it's a great opportunity for you to take your generosity to another level. Well, welcome to week number two of Bitter to Better. Last week, we kicked off this series by talking about there is a miracle in your mistake. And I want to go a little bit deeper today. Uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in some people's hearts today. It is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we celebrate not only the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but also the birth of the church. Uh, the church was born out of the, the Holy Spirit coming. And, and here's what I, I believe is going to happen today. I gave an altar call. I just want to show y'all how God is working already today. I gave an altar call at the end of the first service, and we were about four or five people deep from this corner all the way over to here. Isn't that awesome? Because this subject matter, I, I believe the reason for that is that this subject matter is something that we, we've all dealt with. You, it's impossible to go through life without drinking a bitter cup. And so I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do surgery on some hearts today. I, I, I'm not interested in sermonizing today. You know, there's a lot of times I come and I'll have three exact points or seven or whatever that looks like. I'm just going to try to relay some things that God has put on my heart to you to the best of my ability as we talk about how to respond to a bitter season, how to respond to a bitter season. I think it's important that we, we learn how to respond to difficult and bitter seasons so that we can um, enjoy the sweet season. Anybody thankful for the sweet seasons that you get, right? Uh, sometimes it's, it's the bitter seasons that help us appreciate and enjoy Um, those sweet seasons that God gives to us. But either way, we have to learn how to respond to to difficult times. Um, And the thing I would tell you up front is God has a way of using our bitter season to develop us, to make us stronger, to make us a better person. Um, It's all about how we respond to difficulty. And so we're using the book of Ruth as a backdrop for the series And I I believe that this is a great book to help us understand how that we can get better. We don't have to stay bitter. We can get better. I want you to tell your neighbor, just touch them real quick and tell them your bitter season can get better. I'm going to say, I'm going to say something strong right here. There is nothing worse than a bitter person. I didn't say that at nine o'clock. Maybe I need to make them come back. There is nothing worse than a bitter person. Even if you think that your bitterness only affects you because you've internalized it, what you need to know and understand is that bitterness, even if it is internalized, it affects every environment you walk into. You are spraying those toxins uh, in every environment you walk. If you have bitterness in your heart, I promise you, the people you live with know it. The people you work with know it. Can I say the people you go to church with know it? Even if you've internalized it and you think I've never said it out loud, you are spraying toxins everywhere you go when you have bitterness in your heart. And I want to help you real quick. It's not on the screen, but I want to give you this. I want to help you identify. There's a lot of ways we could identify bitterness, but here's three real simple ways you can identify bitterness. The first 
is that you have imaginary conversations in your mind with someone. In other words, you rehearse what you're going to say. You, you go over and over about this next conversation, how you're going to really show them and tell them. And let, let me help somebody. If you're trying to argue with a bitter person, stop because you've lost. They have been preparing for that moment like it's a state of the union speech. And so they have rehearsed it. They know what they're going to say before they get there. And you're going to lose that. They are so well prepared. Bitter people are well prepared for arguments. Oh man, it's going to get tied in here today. Secondly, another way to identify it is you replay a conversation or experience over and over in your mind. You go through something, you have a conversation with somebody that upsets you or made you bitter, and then you replay it over and over. The third way to identify it, there's more, but these three real simple, you complain often. This is probably the first sign that would suggest that you are bitter. We complain about our circumstances, we complain about the people in our life. Uh, I got a verse for you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is never the will of God for you to complain. It's always the will of God for you to give thanks. It's always the will of God for you to praise him. And so life has plenty of opportunities to make us bitter. And sometimes we get locked in a season that God meant for us to walk through. So, so God has a plan to use a bitter season to help us, but we get stuck in the season instead of walking through the season. And so the family we read about last week, we're gonna read it again, in the book of Ruth, they started in a place called Bethlehem, Judah. We learned last week, Bethlehem means word. Judah means praise. So they lived in the worship experience, if you will. They had word and they had praise. But the Bible says that a famine hit the land and they left the place of the word and the place of praise and they went to a place called Moab. Moab means idle or lazy. All right, so they left it because of a, a temporary problem, a famine. That wasn't a permanent problem. It was a temporary problem, but they allowed a, something that was temporary to, to make them uh, step into something more permanent for their own lives, to get locked in a place that they probably should have been able to pass through. And anytime we allow bitterness in our heart, as you see in this story, when, when they went to Moab and got there, everything started dying. All the men, the, the patriarch, Elimelech, died. The two sons died. Everything started drying up when they left word and praise and went to Moab. And the scripture tells us that they buried the men and Naomi decides after 10 years of being in this idle, lazy place, that she's had enough and she's ready to make the journey back to Bethlehem, Judah. And it's at this point that she gives the two daughters-in-law an opportunity to stay in Moab. You guys can stay here. I'm headed back, but you guys can stay here. And we pick up this story in Ruth 1, starting in verse number 11. It says, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you res restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. 
Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Lord, or for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned the Ruth and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, I wanna, I wanna just start by talking about a word that if you're new to church, it, it may be a new word for you. If you've been around church, you're familiar with the word. Uh, but I think sometimes because if you've been in church a long time, this word can get watered down. But it is a powerful biblical word. And that word is anointing. Everybody say anointing. All right, say it again. Say anointing. All right, anointing. This anointing simply means divine enablement. If you've been around church, you probably heard somebody say that was an anointed song or that was an anointed prayer an anointed message. It means divine enablement. And the anointing is very simply when God puts his super on your natural. The anointing makes you better than you really are. The anointing, uh, some people get attracted to the anointing, but you, you're not operating in your anointing 24-7. So they get attracted to the anointing and, and don't know that if they, if they were to go to that person's house, they, they still have dirty underwear and their clothes need washed. And come on, somebody. Like, like you don't operate in that all the time. But the anointing makes you, uh, it gives you the ability to make a hard thing look easy. Uh, for, for example, you can, you can look at someone, and I'm gonna take y'all back, like old school, all right? Y'all know I'm a sports fanatic. But if I take you back to the 80s, in the NBA, I could take you to a guy by the name of Larry Bird. Any Larry Bird fans in the house? All right, there, there's a few of you. All right, he, he won some championships. He was an all-star player. One, one of the things he was known for was his ability to hit the last second shot. Like he, he would come out of a timeout in the, the end of a game and he would look at the person defending him and he would say, I'm gonna catch the ball right here, shoot it in your face and we're gonna win. And then he went and did it. So he made a hard thing look easy. Now, the thing you got to understand about Larry Bird is he couldn't run fast. He could not jump. How many know that's a disadvantage in basketball? Am I in the right place? That's a disadvantage in basketball. All right. But, but he couldn't run and he couldn't jump. Yet he averaged like 25 points, won all kinds of championships, all-star game appearances, three, three point contest champion. I mean, he's, he done it all. He made a hard thing look easy. And, and so you can look at it and say, yeah, he made, he made that look real easy. But what you didn't see, if you know this about Larry Bird, he would show up before anybody else did to practice. He always stayed later than everybody else. He would work, um, he would run extra miles before and after practice, and he would also shoot 500 extra shots after everybody else had already gone home. The point I'm making is that he had a gift, but his gift had to be developed. You take somebody who leads worship, and they're able to sing and lead hundreds and thousands of people, and it just like they just... Everybody slides into the presence of God. And you say, man, they make that look easy. But what you didn't see was that person, uh, you know, playing a keyboard or a guitar all by themselves with, with tears running down their face when it was just them and Jesus. And they, it was just them in the presence of God. You, you see a preacher that can hold everybody's attention and lives are changed, but you didn't see it when it was just the preacher and his Bible and, and God moving on his heart and all the things he had to walk through to get to that point. A lot of times we look at the end result and say, they may Make that look easy, but there is always a process to your anointing. There is always a process to your anointing. And a lot of times we, we look at the end result, but we don't look at the process. The anointing is divine enablement, but it has to be developed. If you were to ask an anointed person, when did you get anointed? They would not be able to tell you that. Because it happens over a process of time. It's cumulative. It, it happens over a period of time. 
It's not that I, you know, I can just put my hand on you and you're now anointed. There is a process to walk through. If you said, pastor, when did you become a leader? I don't know. All I know is I was faithful over the 70 people God gave me and then God entrusted me with more. There is a process to how God works in your life. You, you, you can ask somebody, how did you get that? How did you do that? And a lot of times they can't give you a day they became anointed, a day they became a leader, a day they did this or that. It has been a process. Let's make it natural for you. You ask somebody who's in supreme shape. Don't ask me, I'm not in supreme shape. But if you were to ask them, when did you get in shape? They can't take you to a day on the calendar. That, that's it right there. I got in shape. You know why? Because they went to the gym once and they didn't see anything. They went to the gym again, didn't see anything. They went to a gym a third, didn't see anything. But you know what? They kept going and then over time, they realized, you know what? I'm in shape. But a lot of people, how I many if you go three times to the gym and you don't see like Hulk Hogan arms, you quit. And that's where a lot of us are. We, we go a few times, we do this and that, and then we quit. So it's not about having someone lay hands on you. People cannot give you their anointing because they cannot give you their process. See, we all face different challenges and different seasons. And when God enables you, when God anoints you, it multiplies you. It causes things to move faster in your life. Promotion comes from the Lord when, when, when the anointing's on your life. Doors start opening. Your life starts moving a lot faster. And, and, and a lot of people, they want to put their life in order after they see the anointing doing all that. But once the anointing hits your life, your life moves so fast, you better have your stuff in order. You don't have time to put it all in order once the anointing's there. You gotta be putting things in order before the anointing ever shows up or what you didn't put in order will ruin your anointing. So you gotta be diligent before you step into it. You gotta walk some things out. Um, Naomi said in our text, she said, don't call me Naomi. She said, call me bitter. Don't, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. I, I, I had everything, but now I have lost everything. So call me bitter. She did not say, I feel bitter. She said, I am bitter. Big difference. I can feel anger, but I cannot allow myself to become angry. I can feel offended, but I cannot become an offended person. I can feel bitter, but I cannot allow myself to be bitter. Anytime we come up against something that is contrary to the word of God, whether that be bitterness, offense, anger, unforgiveness. We have to take a violent reaction against that thing to make sure that my feeling doesn't become my identity. How I many of you can be angry? You, you can feel anger without becoming angry. Have you ever met an angry person? Like they, they didn't just feel angry. They're just an angry person. They don't just feel a little bit. They, they are bitter. There is a big difference. Some of us need to leave this place and, and make a, uh, take a violent reaction against unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, whatever it may be, and make up in our mind, we may feel this, but I'm not gonna become this. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make sure that doesn't take root in my heart. And so I wanted to, to show you a little bit about the anointing because when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he did not talk to them about government. He did not talk to them about leadership. He didn't talk to them about the new economy they would have. The first thing God did, he said, I want you to build me a tabernacle and I want you to learn how to worship me. Now this is so powerful when it comes to the anointing and God's development in your life because if my worship isn't right, nothing is right. I'm gonna say that one more time. If my worship isn't right, Nothing is right. Bitter people do not prioritize worship. Bitter people prioritize how they feel. We, we could take it a step further. Bitter people worship themselves instead of worshiping Jesus. They turn inward. They, they become, she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The Lord has afflicted me is what she said. That's why when the enemy came against Job, 
You, you, you can go back to the book of Job. The first thing the devil took from Job was his ability to worship. Because listen, if your worship isn't right, nothing's right. But if your worship is right, you can get back everything you've lost. But a lot of us, we lose in the midst of our battle, in the midst of our bitter season, we lose our ability to work. Don't ever allow the enemy to steal your worship. So God gives them instructions on how to worship him. And he then gives them, if you look at Exodus 30, we read this last week, but it's worth coming back to. In Exodus 30, verse 22, God is giving them the ingredients for the anointing oil. These are the things that will make the anointing oil. He says, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also also take for yourselves quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Myrrh means bitter. Half as much sweet smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hint of olive oil. And so then he, then he talks about in the next verse, verse 25, he says, you shall make from these a holy anointing oil an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. I want you to notice, according to the art of the perfumer, God is is the perfumer. God is the one who takes all these ingredients in your life, all these seasons, whether they be bitter, whether they be sweet, and God has the unique ability to make a mixture out of every season you have walked through to produce the anointing that he wants to produce in your life. How many know God never wastes a season in your life? He never wastes that. So myrrh, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. And we know that myrrh means bitter. Most people, when they read the book of Ruth, they only talk about Ruth, because that's the name of the book. And and so we look at Ruth and what God does for Ruth, and and it's a great thing. She meets Boaz and all that, and it's, it's a wonderful story. But God also had a plan for Naomi in the process. He also had an inheritance for the one who said, don't call me by my name, call me bitter. And, and, and when you read the book of Ruth, by the time you get to the end of it, you see Naomi breastfeeding a baby in her old age, even though she didn't give birth to the baby. Which tells me, watch this, God has the ability to bring a new thing out of an old thing. He can bring something new out of something no, but bitterness will keep that from happening. Bitterness will prevent anything new from being birthed in your life. And I'm convinced sometimes that we fail to move into the new season that God has for us because we can't reconcile how he's gonna use the old season. So we don't step into the new, we just like, oh God, how are you gonna use this mess back here? And then sometimes we get caught up watching how God is moving in other people while we fail to recognize how he's moving in us. Have you ever sat back and watched somebody, man, God's really moving. He's really blessing them. Thank God for them. Praise the Lord for them. I guess he has anything for me. Not, Not understanding that even in your worst seasons, painful seasons, bitter seasons, God is developing something to help you move into your future. He does not waste seasons. But it's all about how we respond to the different seasons in our life. So God told Moses, he said, I want you to put the myrrh in the anointing oil as one of the main ingredients. And the Bible tells us that there's first a natural thing and then a spiritual thing. Anything you see in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what God would do in the New Testament. So we could take the ingredients we see in the old and understand they are seasons of life in the new. Okay, how many, we're not going to the store today to buy myrrh and rub it on us and say a little bitterness will help me be anointed. So an ingredient in the old is a season in the new. And, and everything this anointing, this anointing oil would touch, it would affect. It would be so powerful that whatever it touched would be changed. So we have to understand what was an ingredient then is a season now. And, and I believe that we have been taught some things that have it's actually hindered us in our ability to respond to a bitter season. For instance, I'll give you an example. We're taught in life to cry when people die and celebrate when people are born. Did you know your Bible says we should cry when babies are born 
and celebrate when people die. Now, some of y'all think that's morbid. But why would, the God, why would God tell, tell us to celebrate when somebody dies and, and, and mourn when someone is born? Why, why would we do that? Because God knows that life is full of bitter seasons. Jesus said, the world, you, in the world, you're going to have trouble. You, you're going to have offenses. You're going to have all these things you're going to have to go through. But how many, when you leave this life and step into the next life, all sorrow, pain, and bitter, and all that stuff's gone. All of it, all of it's gone. And so we, we, we don't, and I'm not saying, you know, when a baby's born, you show up, you know, at the hospital saying, oh God. you know, yeah, I'm not saying be like dramatic about it, but you, you know what God is, is trying to show us. He's trying to show us that in this life, you're going to have a lot of trouble. But if you die in Christ, you, you get a brand new body. There's no sickness. There's no, no trouble. There's n- there, nothing ever going to come against you again. You are happy and filled with joy. I promise when you step out of this life and you step into that one, you would not want to come back to this one. All right, that's the point I'm trying to make. I hope that helps somebody. All right, now with that, God is in the difficulty as much as he's in the destiny. And, and what I mean by that, he is the perfumer. He's the one that takes the ingredients away. When we, when we talk about God in this, we, we usually just say, God is into my destiny. God is into my destination. I wanna, I wanna help you rethink that. God is into your destination, but God is just as much into the process and the difficulty as he is the destination. He is with you all along the way. And so I have learned that there is a process to God's destiny for my life. Anointed people are not afraid of difficulty because to be anointed, you gotta walk through difficulty. So if you're anointed, that tells me you've already walked through some stuff. Anointed people can slide through what would kill other people because they have come through the process. In the business world, we would call that person a plus person. A plus person can be placed in any department and they're gonna raise the atmosphere of that environment. You can put them in a department that has been going in the hole for 20 years, but a plus person, they'll change the atmosphere and if you leave it with them long enough, they're gonna lift the lid on that thing for everybody in the department. And so that's how the anointing works. The, when you are anointed, you can walk into any environment and change it. You can walk into any environment and have impact on it. Here's how you know if you're anointed or not anointed. If you're not anointed, you become your environment. But if you're anointed, you change it. The church has got some work to do because I see way too many people that go into environments and they become their environments instead of going into environments and changing them. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can walk into a room and environment and affect it, impact it, and change it. David was anointed. They poured the horn of oil over his head. He was anointed, but soon thereafter, he had king, a king, King Saul, trying to kill him. And he ran to a cave of Adullam. It was called the cave of Adullam. And it literally means in Hebrew, the place of the squeeze. Before you get real anointed, you're going to go through a tight place. God's going to put you in the squeeze. You can't get the oil out of the olive until the olive has been squeezed. Does that make sense? And so he went to the cave of Adullam, the place of the squeeze. And when he got there, what he found was his 400 men were broke frustrated and ready to stone him. David walks into that cave and he walks back out and what was on the 400 men never got on David. As a matter of fact, what was on David got on the 400 men because those 400 men that were broke and frustrated came out and eventually became David's mighty, mighty men of valor because what was on him got on them. Don't become your environment, change your environment. The first ingredient to the anointing oil is bitterness. See, we have believed that everything good is God and everything bad is the devil. That tells me we don't know what's good and bad. Noah was focused during the flood. 
He got drunk when it was over. Sometimes it's not the sweet seasons that give us trouble or or, or the, the bad seasons that give us trouble. Sometimes it's the sweet seasons. And and what I mean by that is when everything's going well, we relax. We lack discernment. We, we, We don't have any tenacity about us. We lose focus. But Noah was real focused in the flood. He got drunk when it was over. I've heard it said that success has killed more men than failure. Why? Because we get relaxed. We we, we, we're not as focused, as sharp. We, we lack discernment in, in many times when everything is going good and going our way. So we got to ask what's good and what's bad. Sometimes God has this way of using a difficult season, a difficult person in our life to help push us into his presence. Worship team, you guys can come. I saw y'all move somewhere. Now, I want you to watch this. There was two guys connected to Jesus's ministry that if I were to ask you which one was Jesus's friend, I think out of the two individuals I'm gonna give you, most of us would say it's Peter. And I'm talking about Peter and Judas. Which one was Jesus's friend? Most of us would say, well, Peter is. You know, Judas betrayed him, 30 pieces of silver, all that. But I, I wanna show you something. There was on one occasion when Jesus looked at Peter after he had done something stupid again, and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's what he told Peter. Do you know what Jesus called Judas? His friend. Some of you are like, I don't like this. I wanna show you something. Why would Jesus call Judas his friend? He knew that he was the one that would betray him. Jesus knew that. Judas is about to betray me. But what Jesus knew is that his betrayal is actually going to push me closer to my purpose. It's not always what you think it is. Sometimes it's the Judas in your life, that bitter season, that difficult season, that that friend you had that has now embraced your enemy and you think it's just so terrible and this is awful and where's their loyalty? But what you don't know is that what they've done to you has actually pushed you closer to your destiny. Yeah, we don't like this kind of preaching. Oh, we we want God just to roll red carpet out like we do for at the movies and baptism. Just roll it out, God. Let me walk on the red carpet. Sometimes God will use the Judas in your life. He'll use the situation that brought offense in your life, that produced bitterness in your life to push you closer to your calling, to your destiny, to becoming stronger in God. It's a powerful concept to think about it because when you look at this, Jesus knowing that, we, we don't go to the store, as I said earlier, to buy myrrh. But when the Magi, which were kings, came to see Jesus at his birth, we know they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, bitter. One of those kings was wise enough to know this king thing, you're gonna drink a cup of sorrow. You're gonna, you're gonna go through some things. And this is on the screen for you, but I want you to get it. You don't arise to great places without great battles. Myrrh grows from a tree that's mainly found in the Middle East. And one of the things that separates this tree from other trees and what confuses scientists about it is that the sap that that has the myrrh in it that comes out of the pores and the bark of the tree It comes, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. It doesn't have a a spring blossom or a fall harvest. You can walk by one of these trees one day and it's flawless. And you can walk by the next day and it's oozing with sap and myrrh. Have you ever had a season in your life where, where one day life is good and then the next day you're hit with the myrrh tree where bitterness comes your way? You thought the marriage was good, but you came home to find a note that they had left. You had a dream in your heart and you thought it was coming to pass only to see that dream die. A close friend that 
you've been connected to for a long time. One day you think everything's good and the next day they have now embraced your enemy. You go through life and many times it can be one day life is good and the next day I'm hit with this murtry, this bitterness. It comes out of nowhere, it comes unannounced. It comes unwelcome. It's not something you can plan for. But we all have those moments when life is good and then all of a sudden it changes. Life was good for Naomi in Bethlehem. But after 10 years in Moab, she is now bitter. Sudden pain, no rhyme, no reason. Every myrrh tree, this is what they'll tell you, everyone, again, it doesn't do it in spring, fall, there's not a season. Every myrrh tree has its own process. The reason I can't give you my anointing is because I can't give you my process. Everybody's challenges are different. Everybody's seasons are different. A lot of people will say, Pastor, what about Elijah? And Elisha, didn't he give him his anointing? If you study that out, yes, the mantle fell and he picked it up. But what you have to understand is Elisha served Elijah for 20 years and he was known as the man who poured water on Elijah's hands. For 20 years, he served him. And when he went up, the Bible doesn't say, he, he looked up and said, my anointing, my anointing. That's not what he said. He looked up and said, my father, my father, which tells me that if you love the man more than the anointing, you'll get the anointing. Listen, I promise you, the anointing on the person you don't love and you don't serve well is never coming into your life. I promise it'll never hit your life. If you don't love them and serve them well, what's on them will never hit your life. With this being said, I wanna encourage some people today that the agent of your anointing, your bitter season, the failed marriage, the friend that betrayed you, the death of a dream, all of those things, none of those things, including the devil himself, none of it knows the agenda of God for your life. The Bible says, watch this, if the rulers of this age had known what was about to happen on the third day when Jesus got up from the grave, they would have never crucified Him. Why? Because on the third day, they, they thought we've done our job. We've killed the Son of God. But on the third day, He comes out of that tomb with all power in His hands, with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. What they meant to destroy Him, multiplied Him. Somebody's about to ready to step into a season of multiplication. You've drunk the bitter cup. You've come through the bitter season. But God says that is actually going to multiply what I'm doing in your life. Great people go through great battles. One day good, the next day not so good. But we have to learn how to respond appropriately to these seasons. I try not to talk about my personal experiences too much. Um, the re there's a reason for that. Part of it is if I tell you all my experiences, then you think that it's gotta happen the same way for you. But every murtry has its own process. And so my process is gonna look different than yours. And, and so I'm just trusting that the Word of God is gonna carry you through your bitter season. And it's gonna bring you to a place where God can, can really develop you. And, and here's what I felt today, coming into today. I could sense the heaviness of what people would bring into this place, but I, I could also sense the heaviness of the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do. And so some of you are here today and the truth is you've been in a bitter season. You sit in a room like this and you've gone through a painful season, a sorrowful season, and you wonder, does anybody even care? about what I've gone through. How many of God knows exactly where you are right now? And you come in and you've got pain, you've got hurt, you've come through a bitter season. And, and here, here's the thing, I wanna show you one other thing. Jesus' sorrow did not begin on the cross. His sorrow began in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. He knew he was about to drink a bitter cup. 
But one of his major frustrations in that moment was not just about what he was about to walk through. It was the fact that he could not get his disciples to pray with him for one hour. Like I've been there for y'all. When y'all needed me, I was there. And now I need you and you can't even stay awake. The thing about bitterness is that no one runs to the myrrh tree. They run away from it. Everybody's cool with you as long as you're bearing fruit, but as soon as you start oozing myrrh, people can treat you like you got leprosy. They leave you to deal with your bitterness by yourself. Again, it's unwelcome, it's an inconvenience, and a lot of times we're left in a place where we think no one understands. I want you to stand to your feet and as you do, I wanna tell you a story to end this. There's a pastor in Austin, Texas, Pastor Phillips, that he had a young man in his church that was a renowned heart surgeon. And Pastor Phillips was just very intrigued by heart surgery and heart transplants and this, you know, just a doctor's ability to prolong someone's life. Just, he just loved everything about it. And so he had this conversation with this doctor in his church and, and, and out of this um, incident, there was a song that the pastor wrote called Let Your Heart Beat Again. But that song came out of this story. And so in this conversation, the doctor said, well, why don't you come and observe one of the heart surgeries that, that we do? Every once in a while, we have uh, a surgery where people can come in and observe, mainly for students, but it's really hard to get done because everyone involved has, has to sign off. You know, the doctors do, the patient does, insurance companies do, the hospital, everybody's got to sign off. But if we get one of those, would you like to come observe one of these surgeries that take place. Pastor said, absolutely, I would love to come and observe one of those. And so a few weeks went by and he got a phone call from the doctor and said, hey, we got one scheduled. Would you like to come and observe this? And he said, absolutely. So he showed up and the surgeon began the surgery and he, he cut the man's chest open, the patient's chest open. And they went in and in this particular surgery, they literally took the heart completely out and they cleaned it and they unclogged it and they did everything they needed to do to prolong this man's life and they put it back in his chest, sewed him up and, and, and that was all cool for the pastor because he got to witness and see all this. But then the doctor did something that really intrigued this pastor. The doctor leaned over and he whispered something into the patient's ear. And, and the pastor couldn't hear what he said, didn't know what he said. And so they went to lunch afterwards. That's crazy. We're gonna do heart surgery, now go to lunch. Um, you can tell that's not my cup of tea. But anyway, they went to lunch and they're talking. He said, do you mind if I ask you what you whispered into his ear once the surgery was, I heard, I, I saw you lean over and you said something. Do you mind if I ask? And the, the surgeon said, I don't mind at all. He said, I believe that we are body, soul, and spirit. And I had done everything that I could do to that point. And so all I did when I leaned over is I, I whispered his name in his ear and I told him, this is your doctor. The surgery was a success. It is now over. Now I need you to tell your heart to beat again. And, and here's the thing, here's what I want you to get. God is doing a great work in your heart, even through the bitter seasons. He is the perfumer. He's the one that takes all the seasons of our life to produce the anointing in our lives. But many times we, God has done the work, but he's waiting on us to give ourselves permission to live again to let our heart beat again. Some of you were so wounded in the last season, you're like, I don't wanna trust again. I don't wanna live again. I don't wanna have joy again. And God is saying, I'm doing the work. You need to give yourself permission to live again, have peace again, have joy again. Come on, you gotta trust again. You, you gotta live life with your kids again. You, you, gotta, you gotta keep moving. You can't just die in that place. That's what God is trying to show us today. 
Listen, listen, when we don't, here's what happens. We start casting our cares on our kids, on our spouse, on our family members, on everybody around us. But the scripture says very clearly, we are to cast our cares upon God because he cares about us. Anybody thankful for that today? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, no one looking around for the next couple of moments. And I just wanna speak out right now that while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm doing something a little bit different today. If this message spoke to you and you've been through a bitter season, a painful season, and you know it's, it's time to move forward, I wish I could wave my hand over this congregation and everybody's bitter season would be over, but I'm not the perfumer. I don't, I can't do that. God is the perfumer. All I can do is minister grace to you. And even if the pain doesn't go away immediately, I believe at least God can give you understanding that he's gonna use your, every season you've gone through and he will not waste your pain. But if I've been talking to you today and that's you, would you just throw your hand up and say, that's me, pastor. You've been talking to me today. Raise those hands high. Raise those hands up all over this building. I'm gonna ask you to take a step of faith today. I'm gonna ask you to take a step of faith. And I know it's gonna be tight. I know we're gonna be kind of close to one another. But just as, as you giving yourself permission to let your heart beat again, I want you, if you raised your hand, to come out of your seat into this altar now. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what anybody would say. You say, well, I'm afraid I'll lose my composure. You need to come and lose your composure. There could be healing in that moment. Come on, move, move. Get as close as you can. As close as you can. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask prayer team, staff, and anybody in Bethesda Church that says, you know what, I've been through that, I can at least pray for them. If you would, to come in just as close as you can in behind. Those that are up here, we're going to surround them. We're going to do two things. We're going to pray. We're believing that God's beginning a new process. He's going to give you understanding. And I just want to encourage you that, that God will use this season in your life to produce the oil in your life. You're gonna step out of this and you're gonna change environments. You're gonna minister grace to people that have walked through what you've went through. God never wastes pain. After we pray, we're gonna sing a song and I don't want anybody to leave when we sing. I, I want us to stay and worship together. If our worship isn't right, nothing's right gonna worship together today and just believe God. I want you, if you, if you feel comfortable, if you would just live, if you came up, if you could lift your hands, that's a sign of surrender. That's, that's saying, God, I don't wanna carry this. You told me to cast it on you because you care about me. Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. And God, you see every heart, every life, every, every husband, every wife, every son, every daughter that's in this altar, God that have come through a season of pain, a season of sorrow, a season, God, that potentially could have made them extremely bitter, God. But God, in this moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we speak life over every person, every heart. We may have felt bitter, but God, we will not become bitter. God, we will walk through this bitter season, and God, we will come out on the other side stronger, with more grace and more love and more joy and more anointing than ever before. I pray, God, that you begin doing a surgery by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that you do in this moment what man cannot do, God. We are not the perfumer, you are, God. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you touch every heart, every life now in the name of Jesus, that, that, that pain and, and sorrow 
and even guilt that's attached to it, God, be broken in the name of Jesus. God, that the joy of the Lord would become our strength again. God, that we're not going to get locked in a season that you have called us to walk through. And God, by your grace today, God, we receive what you're doing in us and through us. We, we speak it, God, over them. We declare life over them, a new season over them. And God, ask that you do in this moment, God, what we could never do for ourselves. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God a praise for that. Come on, let's give him a praise today. God's beginning to work in your life. Don't go anywhere. I want you to stay. We're going to worship together in this atmosphere. But we got four people that want to give their life to Christ right now online. So we want to take care of that. Here, here's the other thing I want to do. If you're in this place and you say, I, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I want to do it now. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? Say, that's me. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Another one here. God bless you. Another one right here. God bless you. Come on, church. Y'all can do better than that. My goodness. Come on, every voice lifted, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate all those people that just made a decision. Amen. So, so good. Here's what I want us to do. During this last song, I just want us to worship God. It is God's will for all of us to give Him thanks and praise, even in the bitter seasons. If our worship isn't right, nothing is right. Amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Amen. Let's sing this together. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.